listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Get ready to launch yourself to Layers Rockets News. You're listening to Launchpad Podcast presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I am your host, Lashard Binkley. I'm a staff writer for The Dream Shake. And as usual, you can find me on Twitter at HTown for Life 40, all caps. Be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. As usual, we greatly appreciate it. And on today's show, of course, we're going to be talking more about everyone's favorite team, the Houston Rockies, who are coming off another loss last night. Um, Again, where they pretty much was never really in it. They were down about 30 plus at one point until the bench came in and actually got them back into the game, which I know some Rockets fans somehow still weren't happy about because apparently the Rockets should play every, all the starters 40 plus minutes a game, even if they are looking horrible like Shane Goon was last night. Um, but we're going to be talking a little bit about that, very little, uh, mostly individual games. We're going to talk about the Lakers game, of course, which is a lot better game especially for the young guys on the team. I'm uh, also going to be talking some about what we want to see next year, because at this point, that's kind of where we're focusing more on is next year. This year, we're kind of seeing what's happening and what's going to happen for the rest of the year. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And in the last segment, I'll talk more about general NBA stuff, because, of course, there's a lot more going on around the league. Um, just it, frankly, it's just more exciting at this point um, when you start talking about teams like Philadelphia and Brooklyn, the, the game that just happened with that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in the last segment. But before I kick it off, I want to uh, give my special guest um, opportunity to introduce themselves. And uh, of course, you already know both of them uh, pretty well, but I want to go ahead and start off uh, with you, Okan. Why don't you introduce yourself to the Launchpad audience again? All right. My name is Okan Antia. I am a doctor of physical therapy, owner and founder of Campus Motion Sports Therapy and Sports Recovery. You can find me on Twitter at Okeezy Sports PT. Uh, you can find uh, any the physical therapy business, the website at www.campusmotion.org. And I'm glad to be here. Of course, appreciate you coming back onto the show. And uh, Dale, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself before we get started? Uh, what's good, everybody? I'm Jonathan Dell Palmer. I am on Twitter at TweeterDell. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, let's let's just get into it. Talk about some Rockets basketball. Oh yeah, we're gonna definitely do that. And and like I said, uh, last night's game versus the Mavericks was. I mean, it was close a little bit early in the game, but then once Lucas started taking over and the white pile just pretty much just destroyed the Rockets. Shangun was in foul trouble throughout the whole game. He couldn't do anything to stop him. Uh, actually, the white pile had his season high in the first half last night, which is just amazing to me. But at this point, I shouldn't be surprised because role players typically destroy the Rockets on a night in, night out basis. I mean, just go look at Zubox last two games versus the Rockets. I'm another player who's a decent player, but he's not exactly going to be on anybody All Star list anytime. Me, so. Excuse me, Lish- <laughs> excuse me, Lashard. Yes, sir. Can I blame Chris? 
Can I blame Christian Wood for you today? <laughs> a big, a big, a big win off in the paint. I just want to. I gotta blame Christian Wood because that's what we do. If a center scores a bunch of points and has a career high, we, we gotta blame Christian Wood. So and you know, Christian, Christian Wood, Wood, he didn't have really good position on the bench. He could have played better defense from the bench. He didn't put his hands up or anything. I think he was pretty lack of days ago, if you ask me. Um, in his zero minutes played last night. So you have do have a good point on that. Uh, <laughs> but it was funny you mentioned that because me and Dale were talking about that before we got on the air. Um, I think somebody actually pointed that out on Twitter. It was pretty hilarious. Um, and funny enough, probably people that didn't watch the game um, or probably people that did watch the game probably did blame Christian Wood because he is the go-to um, person to blame. Uh, actually, you know what? I don't know. It's, it's a pretty tight race between him and Silas. That's a pretty tight race there. Uh, we might have to do a poll on that. What what I'll what I'll say about this is that uh, <laughs> the the discrepancy of opinion on Christian Wood between Rockets fans and non Rockets fans like it's it's like the Grand Canyon like that's that's, <laughs> yes. that's how far apart it is because anybody that doesn't watch the Rockets would swear that like I don't know Christian Wood is Akeem Olajuwon um, like I I. <laughs> After the Lakers win, um, everybody was like, and they didn't even have Christian Wood. And I'm like, Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a player on this team have like such wildly differing opinions depending on who watches the team and who doesn't. But it's it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, I think a lot of people Usually when you're looking from the outside in, you're looking at his stats. And if you just look at his stats, I mean, he's a 36, 37% shooter, double-double. I mean, people look at his stats and like, man, what the heck are the Rockets fans talking about? <laughs> and part of me is the same way, like, yes, Christian Wood can do some stuff better. I mean, we all know that. He, we know he's, you know, he's pretty bad on defense. He can't defend the paint. And sometimes he doesn't give the best effort, especially when he's setting screens. But at the same time, People act like he's Kelvin Cato or somebody, you know, somebody that just shouldn't even get any money at all, shouldn't even be in the league. I mean, Christian Wood is a on a, on a team like, for instance, Philadelphia, if he was playing the Tobias Harris role, he'll be perfect for that role. A third option, somebody that doesn't have to be the main guy, doesn't even have to be the second main guy. But on a team like the Rockets where night in and night out, he has to be 1A or 1B. No, it's not going to work out because it's just not the type of player he is. He's he's not a one A type guy on a winning team. Um, I, I just I don't think that's ever going to be his role. But being a, a second or third type player, he'll be perfect for that. But but like you said, the opinions are so all over the place. It's just crazy how Christian Wood went from almost being an All Star last year before he got hurt to now he's the worst player in the league. It's just it's, it's crazy to me. I, oh, and I think uh, Philadelphia would like Tobias Harris to start playing the Tobias Harris role. <laughs> to play any type of role at this point. <laughs> and we were actually talking about that some in the last segment because, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. That that game was – I can't say it's a complete surprise when it comes to, you know, just James Harden and sometimes how he shows up. But anyway, I won't get too far into that right now. But uh, I, I do want to talk about the Lakers game because that was actually a good game to watch, not like last night's game where – I'm just going to be honest. I was in and out after the second half. I wasn't really watching too intensely in that game. But uh, I want to get y'all opinion on that, on what y'all saw from Jalen Green basically taking over the game. Um, 
Same thing with Josh Christopher, Alperin Shangoon, who pretty much dominated a lot of times. LeBron James, who, by the way, had another 50-point game last night, but did not look like that against the Rockets. So let me get y'all opinion on that, on what y'all saw in that Lakers game and what y'all specifically saw from the the young guys, the rookies on the team. And I'll start off with you, Dale. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of want to just go off of the, the LeBron point, right? Because he's, yeah. he's like – he sandwiched his two like 50 point performances with this game against the Rockets. And I think it's, I think it's important to note um, that like the Rockets properly took advantage of a bit of a lull um, in the Lakers schedule for them. Like I know it was a must win game against the Rockets. Like the Lakers were not treating it like a game that they uh, were coasting toward, but LeBron is a very specific type of player uh that first 50 point game against the warriors was against the warriors against steph curry uh the game last night that the lakers had was uh kyle kuzma and kcp's return to uh la and and i guess lebron was like kyle kuzma not about to outplay me tonight <laughs> yeah so, you could tell. so i think i think the biggest thing for me was watching the young guys of the team rise to the occasion and step up to that moment. Um, we've seen it with KPJ and Jalen Green in many games before, but Jalen had like a fearlessness that I think we've all been waiting on him to have on the court. And Alpi was out there. Like, I, I think the, uh, the big thing for him is going to be establishing himself in the five role. I really view him more as like a, a four that can't necessarily guard fours yet. Yeah. And I think that's why he dominated LeBron in the ways that he did at times in that game, because it, it felt natural to him. It felt very comfortable for him. And Josh Christopher, I feel like he is similar to Jalen in that, like he needs to find his rhythm. He yeah. needs to get himself going and then he can like see the floor a lot better he can make his decisions when he needs to. The thing that I'm most impressed by these young players is their decision-making, like the rookies in specific. Um, Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, and Alpi, like they're all very, very quick to make their decisions and they do it with confidence when they're in rhythm. Um, It's just they need to find that consistency now so that we can see this a little bit more often. Because once they get thrown off, as a rookie tends to do, they kind of they kind of lose themselves. They don't know where to go from there. Yeah, and I think that's what I mean. A lot of people were kind of getting they they shouldn't have been bringing up as much as about Jalen possibly being a bust and this and that. I mean, a guy played 15 games last year, didn't play, um, of course, at all in college. So he was basically learning as he went throughout this year. And then on top of that, you have so many different lineups. And then you had also a young point guard next to him. I mean, it took time for him to get to that point. And then, of course, you still got a young coaching staff as far as when you're looking at Coach Silas. I mean, this is basically his first full year. So, I mean, you can see it all coming together now. And I do find it funny that people aren't willing to give Silas any credit for Jalen Green's improvement. Um, it's just kind of like Jalen Green's just doing it on his own, I guess. He's just somehow figuring all this stuff out on his own without any coaching. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. But 
yeah, I mean, it's just really good to see Jalen Green and Josh Chris from the Alpern Shake. He'll be doing this all year, but to see those other two finally figuring out is pretty, you know, that's to me is what the main thing about the rest of the season is, is just watching the young guys develop. Um, but let me ask you, Okan, what is your, I guess, beyond just the Lakers game, just your overall impression of how the young players have been playing lately, especially Jalen Green? Okay, so anybody that, that follows me or has read anything that I've posted knows that I have uh, I have been one of the main folks this whole year when we had all this controversy about Jalen Green touches. I basically <laughs> yeah. said that Jalen Green gets the ball, and when he wasn't quote-unquote shooting enough, it was on him to get when he got the ball to do something with it. It wasn't on the coach to call more plays for him, et cetera. If we watch the games now, they're not necessarily calling more plays to get Jalen open shots or get him easy shots. I mean, he's the number two pick in the draft. Why does the whole team and the coach have to baby him to get yeah. him all these open shots? He's got big time talent and he can get the ball and go get a shot when he wants to. And that's what he's doing. It took him time to gain confidence, you know, obviously get his legs under him. You know, being a rookie, you hit a rookie wall, you have dead legs, all his shots were short. You know, if you watched his shots when he was struggling, they were short or they were offline. That's somebody trying to push the ball to the basket with dead legs. He's got his legs up under him. He's feeling confident. And when he gets the ball, he's aggressive. That's all it took. To act like Silas is over there on the bench telling the team not to pass the ball to Jalen <laughs> or yeah. telling Jalen, you are not allowed to shoot the ball. You must stand up here 30 feet from the basket and move the ball like a, like a role player. That never happened. Jalen took it upon himself to be more aggressive. You know, one thing that he has done is when he attacks the basket or when he penetrates – instead of trying to dunk on everybody and getting, you know, getting fouled or running into somebody and getting swatted, he's starting to pull up into the mid range and, and take that shot. They're giving him that shot. They're scared of him getting to the rim. They don't want to be on a poster. Yeah. And so they're giving him the shot and he's taking it. And that is why he's playing better. That is, has nothing to do with play calling. That has nothing to do with, you know, the coach not standing him in the corner or whatever. You've even seen Christian Woods say, Jalen's coming to us, calling for the ball, and they're giving it to him. Like, so he and, – and if you compare his progression to other similar high-scoring two guards and wings, his progression is right on track with what we saw from Anthony Edwards last year. So all this hammering about, oh, he needs to – you know, they're not giving him enough touches or even the people calling him a bust or whatever. It's like it takes a while when you are when your primary skill is scoring and you take difficult shots. It takes time to get your efficiency to figure out the spots on the court that you're most effective and the spots on the court where you can get your shot whenever you want it and to convert at a high clip. You know, you've got to figure that out while getting in better shape as you get used to the grind of an NBA season. And so to me, everything is right on track as it should be. And we can continue to see him score, you know, 20 to 25 points a game the rest of the season, you know, unless they're, unless it's a blowout and he's resting the starters. But 
but yeah, Jalen looks great. And I think when it comes to Josh Christopher, I think the folks that are saying Kevin Porter Jr. should be the sixth man have misunderstood the whole plan. I think the plan is for Josh Christopher to become the sixth man in the future, right? And Kevin Porter Jr. is the starting point guard. Now, whether you want to call him, you know, CP3 or John Wall-ish type point guard or whatever, it doesn't matter. The backcourt is Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. And I think Josh Christopher is being groomed for the sixth man role that a lot of folks are trying to put Kevin Porter Jr. in. So uh, I think Josh, Josh has that sixth man mentality. If you look at that Lou Williams, that Jamal Crawford, that guy that's just coming in trying to get his get as many shots up as he can in a short period of time. To me, that's that's Josh Christopher, a guy who if the starters are, you know, if Jalen is passive or if Kevin Porter Jr. is passive, you know, they have bouts where they're very aggressive and they have bouts where they're not so aggressive. Josh Christopher is always aggressive. You know, hell or high water, he's coming in there, he's taking his shots, he's doing his thing. And so I think he's actually perfect for the six-man role. And I think he can actually also play with Jalen and KPJ in certain lineups. And so I think that gives him the versatility to play defense. He could guard point guards. And so I think Josh is a perfect six-man. So he's progressing very well. And, you know, Shingun, I think – he played awesome against the Lakers. He played 40 minutes, and there were a lot of jokes about, you know, all of a sudden he could play 40 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> well, and that yeah. was all, you know, and that was all cool. That was fine and dandy. Until last night, yeah. Yeah, I think last night he struggled because he was still recovering from playing 40 minutes. And yeah. so we got we to gotta keep it real and, you know, understand that, yes, he can do that, but there's – because he's not in the greatest shape yet, it, there is going to be some, uh, you know, some hell to pay down the line. And I, yesterday, to me, was a very fatigued Shingun performance. And, and so, you know, playing 40 minutes and then coming back a couple days later, you know, as the only big, I think that's why he – you know, he looked kind of out of sorts and stuff. I think he's still recovering. And that's, and guess what, people? That is okay. It is okay for him to play big minutes in a game and then struggle in the next one because he's fatigued. Like, it's okay to, you know, have a little inconsistency. These guys are, he's 19 years old. Some of them are 20 years old, 21 years old. Like, these are not grown men. These are kids playing against grown men and, him and Jalen and even Josh have not been in an NBA offseason summer program yet, right? Not one. So they're coming off playing in the G League, coming from college, coming from overseas. And so, you know, they all went off against against the Lakers. And yesterday was more of, you know, more of what you see, typical, you know, rookie struggles. So I'm not concerned at all. What what I like to see, what I'm seeing is that they have made a lot of progress. And I think Shingun and Christopher were not even in the plans to be players this year. And they have both far out far exceeded what the coaching staff in the front office thought they would get from them this year. So moving into next year, they're ahead of schedule. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly what we're gonna talk about. 
in a second segment because I, I want to get y'all opinion on what we should be seeing next year. Because like I said, we, we really should be looking more focus on next year's draft, focus on next year's rotation, who's going to be or who's not, because next year is going to be kind of a turning point season for the Rockets. You want them. I don't think you're really going to be seeing them, um, you know, being one of the top six or seven C's or eight C's. I still think they're a couple years away from that, but they should be better than they are this year. They should not have the worst record next year. So that's kind of what I want to talk about in the second segment, what we should be looking forward to next year, what the Rockets plan should be next year. Uh, so please stick around. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And welcome back to Launchpad Podcast presented by Apollo Media. And in the second segment, we're going to be discussing a little bit more about the future Rockets and what we want to see uh, going into next year and what should be the plan, the rotation, uh, what the Rockets should be doing um, as far as the uh, roster overall uh, going into next offseason and, and beginning of next year. So why don't we go ahead and start with uh, with that uh, what we should be looking forward to next year. And I'll kick that off with you, Dale. Uh, what do you want to see as far as the rotation? Um, what players do you hopefully um, will be in that rotation? And do you envision players like Eric Gordon and Christian Wood actually being on the opening day roster next year? Uh, personally, I I don't see nor would I want Eric Gordon on the opening day yeah. roster for next season. Um, I also wouldn't want Christian Wood there either, but I I have uh, more doubts that he will actually get moved. Um, <clears throat> it really depends on what they're looking for in the draft. And if you draft somebody like Jabari, then you're looking to probably pair him with both Wood and Shingoon. And, and for me personally, um, I just think that Christian Wood has kind of outlived his usefulness to this group. Yeah. Um, he can go to a different situation and play his natural role. I think he, he just doesn't really fit with the direction that this team is going. I think that Dacian Nix will most likely be in next year's rotation. I, I can't imagine him not being since they signed him to that contract. And I would like to see KJ Martin, uh, if not starting, then taking a bit of Jay Sean Tate's place in the rotation. Yeah. I think you can scale Jay Sean Tate back a little bit. You can put him with the second unit. You can make him one of the primary playmakers off the bench. You can use that to open up the game for Josh Christopher a little bit more. Because him playing with the starters really doesn't make sense, especially if you know that you want to groom Shingun to be in your starting lineup. You don't need KPJ, Jalen Green, Shingun, and Tate. That's like that's four different guys who can who can be your playmakers in the same lineup. That's yeah. like way too much redundancy. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking at it from that angle. I think you you up 
Dacian Nix a little bit. You give KJ Martin a bit of an increased role, and you you just get some of these vets out of here. Like they don't need to be here necessarily. And I know that that scares some folks, but I think it's the best thing for this team to do right now. I think you have to make a decision between, you know, having Eric Gordon here or letting him go and possibly keeping Dennis Schroeder or getting another veteran guard and letting both of them go just so you have someone that for sure fits with your new direction. Because this team right now, I just, I don't really see the path. And I think a lot of that is because they kept a lot of guys that they should have, I don't know, not had at this point. Like, if we're experimenting, then let's truly experiment instead of holding on to chips and and just sitting them down because they're hurt or sick or whatever it may be. Yeah, I guess my biggest problem is, um, like right now, you know, for instance, Garrison Matthews has been hurt. So there's really no reason to continue to play him as many minutes as they've been trying to play, especially when he's been struggling anyway. Same thing with yeah. Dennis Schroeder. I don't understand the I don't I understand the mindset of having veterans on your team. I don't I don't I don't mind having a few veterans on your team as long as they're not playing 30 plus minutes a game if you're a rebuilding team. I don't mind having mm-hmm. a Dennis Schroeder type player on your team. But if he's obviously hurt, I don't see the benefit of playing him really any, but definitely the minutes they were playing him over when you have a Deshaun Nix just sitting on your bench. I mean, if you're going to bring him up from the G League where he was getting 30-plus minutes a game and was really developing his game, if you're going to bring him up just to have him sit on the bench and play garbage time, I understand they're probably doing that because they want him there during practice and on the Rockets facilities and their training staff. I understand that, but to me it's more of a benefit to have him playing 30-plus minutes for the Vipers if you're not going to be playing them at all on the Rockets. So I don't see a path to where Dennis Schroeder comes back next year. Mm-hmm. One reason is because of his salary. I think maybe he'll probably be looking because, he because you know, with the whole fiasco with his previous time trying to get a contract, I think he's going to be looking for more than the Rockets may be offering. And also just playing time. I just don't see where he fits in as far as with playing time. You need more of a guard like a DJ Augustine who's, who's fine with not playing at all some games and maybe playing a few minutes here and there. But when you need him, he's there. I don't think Dennis Schroeder is at that point of his career yet. So I, I definitely think players like Tate's going to have to play less minutes. Uh, Garrison Matthews going to have to play less minutes because you got to have Josh Christopher playing definitely going into next year. And Christian Wood, like you said, I do agree with you on Christian Wood. Not that he's a bad player. I, I'm not on the train of where he's a horrible player. Get rid of him. I just don't think he fits at all with this team right now. He's just at a different point in his career as far as needing to be more of a third option um, than what he's going to get for the Rockets. So, and Eric Gordon, that's like a foregone conclusion. You have to find a way to move Eric Gordon before the start of next year. Um, I understand they like him on the team, but you're beyond the point of just having players just because you like them. You need to be developing the player that you plan on having the next five or six years. Um, yeah, so what's yeah, your... we gotta we gotta stop with this whole like oh he likes to be here he's such a great teammate <laughs> thing. I'm like that's that's cool for summer camp, but let's <laughs> let's let's be realistic. Right? Yeah, I mean this is a business at the end of the day, and I like Eric Gordon too, but 
I mean, this isn't a 2017-18 Rockets. Having him on the roster just because you like him doesn't really benefit your team at this point. And also, I just think that, you know, Eric Gordon needs to be on a competitive team. He's at the end of towards his career, just like P.J. Tucker, just like uh, uh, the other guy, the number 13 guy. I mean, they want to be on competitive teams because they're getting towards the end of their career. So, you know, go ahead and move on from them and make room for players that can actually play. It'd be one thing if Josh Christopher was horrible or, you know, uh, Deshaun Nix didn't have any potential and you were trying to force feed these people in the line. These guys can actually play, so get them out on the court. I mean, that's just kind of the way I'm looking at it right now. So uh, what's your opinion on that, Okan? What do you want to see next year as far as rotations and players that you think should not be on this roster uh, when we go into uh, 2022-2023 season? So I'll start kind of where where Dell started as far as the draft. I think if I think if the Rockets draft Jabari Smith, I do think they're going to run Jabari at the three, Wood at the four, and Sengun at the five, and see how that goes. Because Christian Wood, the decision done on him does not have to be made until the trade deadline. Whether they want to resign him long term or move on from him, I do think that would be a consideration if they end up drafting somebody like Chet Holmgren or, or Paolo Bancaro, I think Christian Wood still stays. And I think one of those two would come off the bench to start. I don't think that the, I don't think that with next year being a pivotal year, I do not think they're going to start a rookie and Shingun across the front line, uh, on a year where, you know, Silas and Stone, you know, need to show Pratita and City that the team is headed towards winning. So I, I can't see a, a, a scenario where you're starting a, a rookie and Singun in the front line. And so I think you would keep Wood in that instance. And then, you know, obviously by the trade deadline, you probably have to move him because I don't see a way where Holmgren, Wood, and Shingun all fit together, or Bancaro, Wood, and Shingun fit together. So I think Wood has a better chance of staying long-term if you draft Jabari Smith, because I think Jabari can play the three. And I think, you know, having three 6'10 guys across the front line with two 6'6 backcourt guys, I think you can, you've got a lot of athleticism to help make up for Shingun being at the center position and, uh, you know, I think you could. I think you could roll that lineup out there to the trade deadline and, and see what you have. Uh, as far as KJ Martin, a lot of you guys already know how I feel about KJ Martin and Jay Sean Tate. I love Tate as a player. I think if in a vacuum, he's probably still a little bit better than KJ, but KJ is a better fit with the starting group because he's not ball dominant. He he covers more ground on defense, even if Jay Sean is a better individual defender. Uh, KJ protects the rim, which if you've got Shingun at center, you need a three that can protect the rim. I think that's more important mm -hmm. than man-to-man -man defense. I also think KJ, he sets screens more often. He does dribble handoffs more often. I think you give the ball to Tate, he's trying to go to work. And ISO, you give the ball to KJ, he either is slashing down the lane 
or he's you know doing a dribble handoff or setting a screen. So I think he's more complimentary. So similar to what Dell said, I think Tate with the second unit as a second unit bench creator helping be the engine of the second unit, he can have the ball in his hands a little more. Uh, like Dell said, allow Josh to play off the ball some. And, you know, if you've got Knicks and Josh and, and Tate coming off the bench, you know, that's a, that's a nice little creative second unit where you shouldn't have stagnant offense. You should be able to get into some actions and create some stuff. So I actually like to move and take to the bench. And I've been saying it since August, since summer league that I would start KJ over Tate. And it's not because I think that KJ is a better player right now. I think he will be soon, but it's not even about him being a better player right now. It's about him fitting better with the starters and, as you can see, the games where Tate has missed and you've seen KPJ, Jalen, and even Wood go off, there's more touches for the better offensive players when you take out Tate's high usage. And I think last year, Tate played more like a, you know, a PJ Tucker with handles. He was like strictly a role player. He just kind of did some stuff when, when his number was called, but he kind of stayed out of the way. This year, he's added a lot of on-ball creation in the paint and dribbling and all that's great. And it's made him a better player in a vacuum, but it also makes his fit less clean with, you know, as a fourth or fifth option, he's, you know, siphoning possessions away. And so, you know, KJ may shoot as much as Tate, but his shots are more pull-up, his more are wide open threes. He's a better shooter or they're, you know, screen and roll, catch, catching lobs or, you know, getting cut into the basket back door and getting dunks. And so I think those things are more useful in a starting lineup with Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, and, and even Christian Wood or Shingun, whoever's there, versus uh, being off – versus coming off the bench and, and, you know, being a primary guy who you can run offense through. And I think that's – on this team, I, I think – that's where I would put him. Also, being 6'4 and playing the four, not being that great of a rebounder, we tend to be super small when we've got KJ. I'm not KJ. When we've got Tate at the four, and so uh, we end up getting, you know, getting pounded inside. And, and I think that Tate and Sengun in the same lineup is poor for spacing. And I don't think those two are a good fit at all because – when those two share the court together, the the paint is clogged. And so there's nowhere for KPJ or Jalen to go when Boone's man is hanging off of him and Tate's man is hanging off of him and they're going three on five. So uh, so I just think Tate is a better fit off the bench, but I would keep him because he he does have the stuff you look for in a role in role players around your stars, as long as he's his ball dominance is managed properly. Uh, on the backcourt perspective, I think your backcourt of the future that you're looking at, you're looking at KPJ, Jalen, Josh, and Knicks. Those four I would put as my primary backcourt for at least through next year. And, you know, you've got two guys, you've got a, a starting group, a backup group, you've got versatility, you've got people that can handle the ball, people that can play on the ball, play off the ball. So, I would roll with those four 
through next year and, and, and see what we have. So I think your backcourt rotation is in place. And, uh, and so that's, that's probably the, the way I would do it. I think, you know, Matthews, I think we got to kind of look at him kind of like a Gerald Green kind of role where you put him in there, he goes off, he plays more. If he's struggling that day, maybe he sits more, but I think he can play that role and, We've seen that. We also saw Ben McElmore have a similar role where you test him out and see what's going on that day. And if they're going, then you let him play. So I think he's going to lock into a role like that moving forward. Well, and speaking of like just the roster overall, a, a big kind of elephant in the room that I kind of forgot to even mention before we wrap up the second segment, I want to ask both of y'all real quickly, like the percentage that y'all think this is going to happen. Like, what's the percentage you all think uh, the chances the Rockets buy out John Wall um, before the season um, starts next year? And I'll, I'll start with you, Dale. What percentage do you put that at? Um, I'm I'm gonna give it a solid uh, thirty-five percent, I guess. Still I pretty think, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think with with this year, you know. Uh, kind of coming off the, the books and there only being one season left. I think there's more of a chance that he would be willing to talk about a buyout. I just, I, I do think it's difficult because I think that the team really does want to get something of value back for him. And that's very, very difficult when you're not playing him at all. So I say 35 because I really do think that it's a stronger possibility that the Lakers just trade Russell Westbrook for John Wall. That's, I guess that's my hot take of the day. I don't know. And, and what about you, okay? I mean, he's, John Wall's going into his last year. I mean, what do you think the percentage of him, and now that Dale brought that up, percentage of him getting um, bought out, or do you think it's more likely that he gets traded? I mean, it's really not a lot of options for far as a trade, I but. I was actually going to say it's 100% that he won't be here next year. And I think, you know, you could divide it, part of it into buyout and the rest into trade. But I think it's 100% that he won't be here. And I think, you know, uh, the more likely thing, you know, whether it's 50, 60, I think the more likely thing is he gets traded for Russell Westbrook because I don't think Westbrook or the Lakers can deal with that for another year. So unless – Russ and John Wall get bought out, they're both getting traded for each other again. So that's that's the options on both. Either both of them are getting bought out or they're getting traded for each other because I think they're attached at the hit. And so, uh, you know, maybe it's just a clean swap and maybe the, the Rockets won't, you know, won't be asking for an extra asset because there's no leverage. Both teams just need to move on and you know, John Wall would probably play for the Lakers and the Rockets would just buy out Westbrook. So they, you know, they could buy out Westbrook just like they could buy out Wall. So I think they would be trading Wall to the Lakers as a solid for Rich Paul, who is John Wall's agent, and for LeBron, you know. And I think either way, they have the same contract. And I think the buyout terms would be the same. So they would just buy out Russell Westbrook in that instance and, you know, during the season when the Lakers were desperate, 
then they needed to come up off some assets to make that trade because you'd be doing them a favor. And this offseason, I don't think you're doing – neither team is doing the other a favor by doing the trade. It's just doing right by the player. And Stone has shown that he'll do right by the players if it doesn't compromise, you know, his situation. And just shuffling those two for each other isn't going to make the Rockets' situation any worse. So I see that more than likely. And then the buyout – less likely so similar to what Dell said yeah which I mean makes sense I mean at the end of the day it's easier to make that trade especially if uh Westbrook makes it a point saying he doesn't want to play for the Lakers anymore than trying to do a buyout where you know both sides have to come to that conclusion and they have to work out a deal and uh the player has to give back a certain amount of money because the team is only going to give you know they, they're only going to take so much back themselves so yeah I think it's probably more likely that he gets traded um, but I, I think the, it all kind of also depends on how big of a deal John Wall makes it in the offseason because right now he still seems to be okay on the surface of not, not playing. But at some point, I'm sure his agent is going to really start to push that, and we all kind of know who his agent is. Um, we're going to start to push him playing, um, especially with his contract. come Next contract probably being his last contract or at least his really good uh, – the best contract he's going to get. I mean, any other contract of that's probably going to be some minimum um, deal, veteran you know, min, uh, minimum deal that he's going to get going forward. So this is going to be the last time he has a really good chance of making a, a good money, having a good contract. So I think one way or another, they're going to have to come up with some resolution for the start of next year. So we're not going through this again next year on the whole John Wall sitting on the bench, um, not playing things. So. As we all know, 2023 is going to be a really big year for the Rockets as far as this cap space and where they are as far as um, with the young players and who they're going to actually have going into that year. So next year is going to be kind of linchpin season. And then 2023, 2024 is going to be the big year for the Rockets as far as what direction they're going to be going in. Um, but we're actually going to talk a little bit about the current season and what's going on around the NBA in our final segment. I'm going to get the guys' opinion on what they've seen, what they're expecting for the rest of the year and going into the playoffs. So please stick around. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And welcome back to Launchpad Podcast, been by Apollo Media. And we are in the final segment of today's podcast. And in this final segment, we're going to be talking more about the entire uh, NBA. Um, the top teams in each conference as we've had a lot of big games recently. And of course we're winding down to the end of the year and we're going to be getting into the play in and of course the playoffs where we all know the Rockets won't be involved in again this year, maybe next year, but that's uh, another topic for another day. Um, but I want to start off with talking about the top teams in each conference. Of course you have Miami that's number one in the Eastern conference uh, followed by Philadelphia, um, and in the Western Conference, you still, of course, have Phoenix, who have the best record in the league, even without Chris Paul. 
And then you have Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies, which is still a surprise to me uh, that they're the number two seed and Golden State has been struggling lately. So I'll kick off with you, Okan. What's been your opinion just overall as far as the top teams in each league and who do you kind of see finishing in a top two season in each conference? So in the in the West, I think it's going to – I mean, Phoenix is pretty much wrapped up the, the one seed. I think Memphis has a good shot of catching Golden State. Uh, you know, Draymond's supposed to be coming back, but we'll see. I mean, I think he's probably going to be on a minutes restriction, and it's going to take – Draymond a while to train his troops back into how they need to be playing defense because they've gotten lackadaisical and he's probably going to irritate some of the young guys when he gets back. Probably, yeah. About getting into the right spot. So it's going to take Draymond a while to undo the mess that their defense has become since he's gotten back. So I think Memphis has a chance to uh, catch them and pass them. Uh, while that's going on. Um, as far as, you know, long-term, like who who makes it out of the West, you know, we'll see when it comes to, you know, as usual, the West is going to come down to Chris Paul and his health. You know, I could say that, you know, almost, you know. <laughs> Every year, yeah. The past five, six, seven, eight years, uh, whether it's the Clippers, the Rockets, or or the Suns, you know, how, how are we going to play? What are we going to do is going to be based on is Chris Paul going to suit up for all the games or is he going to miss yeah. the games or or what? So we'll see uh, how his, you know, good thing it's an upper, upper body injury so he can continue to work on his legs and keep his conditioning and run. And, you know, so his conditioning shouldn't slip like it would if it was a hamstring or something. But, uh, but we'll see. On the East, I think the East playoffs are going to be – a lot more interesting than the West. And I think it's been years and years and years since you could actually say that. But when you look at Miami and Philly and Milwaukee and Chicago and even Boston, I think the East is going to be a, a slugfest. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, <laughs> how Embiid and Harden uh, react to getting beat down by the Nets the other day. Yes. I haven't had any adversity yet. Uh, you know, Embiid and Harden have had checkered playoff histories. I'm not going to say negative stuff because I don't buy into some of the narratives, but they 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 played less than their best in the playoffs. And uh, that part cannot be debated. Now, whether you want to call it a choke or this or that, you know, have at it. But both of them had, you know, their MVP players in the regular season and they're, you know, merely all-stars for the most part in the postseason. And if you drop from superstar MVP and all-star, it is fair to say that your your level of play is dipped and, and that's not a hot take or anything crazy. That's just a fact. And so uh, both of them need to lean on each other to push through whatever – roadblocks may come their way because I think on paper they should win the East, but that that would count on Harden and Embiid playing at both playing at an MVP level. And you know, we'll see if they can manage that together. Uh 
you know, Miami's going to be a tough out. They play defense. They play hard. But, you know, Jimmy Butler, I don't know. Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be making shots? You know, is he going to play like he did in the bubble? Or is he going to play like he did last year in the playoffs? Yeah. You know, we'll see. And so I think uh, I, I'm not – I don't think the Nets have a chance. I, I don't see the mandate changing. Kyrie probably only can play four more games the rest of the season. You know, they're probably being the play-in. If they play Toronto, he won't even be able to play that game. I think you know the Nets won their championship the other night by spanking the spanking the Seventy Sixers and yeah, you know, covering up for the boy Ben Simmons. And you know, I think that was their championship because they're, they're they're pretty much done the rest of the year. So. Yeah, I mean, and I agree. The East is going to be a lot more entertaining. I don't know how often you can say that in the past. Uh, than the Western Conference playoffs because, I mean, we kind of know that – I mean, I know Memphis is a good story, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to uh, Phoenix and Golden State. And if Golden State can get anything from Draymond Green, and I'm not really expecting anything from James Wiseman. I mean, the guy hasn't played in a year and a half and and, and still not really a, a timetable on when he's going to be back. Uh, so what's your opinion, Dale? What's your opinion on what you've seen so far in the West and East and who do you, who do you think is going to – end up being a top two season in each conference and uh, how you think that's going to uh, play out, you know, as we wind down this season? Uh, well, I think Phoenix and Memphis is probably a safe bet for the West. I really just don't see Golden State being consistent enough to overtake Memphis for that two spot. And in the East, I mean, right now it's – Miami and it's Milwaukee. Milwaukee uh, jumped over Philly by a game with uh, this recent loss, I guess. And I don't know. Milwaukee plays very, very strangely. I don't know if y'all have watched most of the Bucks games this year, but it's kind of like they play down to their competition every single night. And they've been winning, but like some of these games should not be as close as they are. So. I think if if Philly goes on a run, they could probably take that two seed. It's just it's it's harder to tell with the East because everybody is like right next to each other. Like all the records are sitting on top of each other right now. So um, I I would say Miami and Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know if Milwaukee's gonna look at their schedule and say. We would rather play the six matchup than uh, than worry about like possibly getting the Nets yeah. as the seven. Um, but yeah, like 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 you said, Okizi, um If Brooklyn winds up in the play-in in the current spot they're in now, they wouldn't have Kyrie Irving for either of those games because one would be in Toronto and the other one would be a home game. So. That's that's kind of rough. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, so I don't know the East. Like, really, it depends on like the last week because we got what like fifteen games left. So, yeah. I I don't know. It's it's super super close. But all all I'm thinking is I think Miami is gonna lock down one of those top two seeds. They're just they got too much depth. They're too consistent. No matter who's playing or who's not it's really just going to come down to if all of that gels in the playoffs when the game shrinks down and it gets a little more, uh, I guess, tight. 
because they do have some guys that do historically get a little banged up. Um, and they're a team that plays with so much effort all the time that it's hard to say that they're going to slow it down and control themselves. Like I could see, unfortunately, like somebody getting an injury early in the playoffs and that kind of derailing their whole plan. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting to me, like I said, definitely the first round matchups are going to be interesting. I think the play-ins in the West is going to be interesting because right now you're looking at teams like uh, the Lakers who could possibly also be in the play-in game again. But I'm also interested, not necessarily in going too much into, you know, how James Harden is going to perform and how he's not going to perform. You know, we all know his history and we know that he's had some really good games, really bad games. But I think with Philadelphia is going to be interesting, something we kind of talked about earlier. What are they going to get from Tobias Harris, if anything? And can Tyrese Maxey actually be the third, I don't want to say star, but third player that steps up for them? Because if you look outside of those players, I mean, who else are you talking about? Thibault's not really an offensive type player. Um, you have a couple of other players, but not really any players that you're just sitting there like, oh, okay, they're going to be able to step up when, when it comes down to it at the end of the day. So before we wrap it up, I want to ask you real quick on that. Do y'all think that Philadelphia has enough outside of Harden and Embiid to actually get out of the East? Um, and I'll start off with you, uh, Ocon. I believe, as we said earlier, a couple segments ago, if Tobias Harris starts to play like Tobias Harris, I mean, all he's got to do is give us the same 18 to 20 that he's been giving us for yep. years and years and years. And even though that's not necessarily worth the 30 to 35 man that he's getting paid, uh, him being the third option and not the second option, you can live with that. Yeah, looking at Tobias as a second option as part of a big three, then you're probably going to have some problems. But if he's a third option, he should be able to get his same 18 to 20 uh, with Harden and Embiid drawing so much of the defense. He should be able to knock down wide open shots. He should be able to get to his one and two dribble pull ups. Uh, you know, so I, I'll keep my eye on him to see if he's going to. Uh, Start to resume to uh, resemble the the eighteen to twenty point per game player that he's pretty much been his whole career as a as a starter. Yeah. Or if he's gonna continue to play like he's been playing the past couple of weeks, which is you know very unaggressive and you know, just not well. Uh, as far as Maxi, you know, as a guard, hopefully he can if Tobias is having an off game, hopefully he can be the third option. So I think you're looking at both of them. It's like we need one of y'all to be the third guy each game. And if they can get third guy production out of one of them, you know, then they should they should probably be able to take the East. But if not, then I think we're looking at probably Milwaukee because uh, uh, Philly has you know, so a couple of cheat codes that could they could go out, they can take Milwaukee out that Milwaukee's defense probably doesn't have an answer for. I mean, yeah. he had 42, I, I believe, against them. And so they can't really do anything with Embiid. You don't want to put Giannis on him. Uh, and, and Bobby Portis is not going to, is not going to get, is not going to get it done. So Philly has some things that they could do to Milwaukee, but if 
like you said, if they're if the top two stars aren't playing up to, up to par, or Tobias or Maxi, one of them can't get in third production, then I think you're looking at uh, Milwaukee again, getting getting through the East. Yeah, and I think that people are still kind of sleeping on Milwaukee. I mean, they didn't really make any major changes. They didn't really lose anybody. You still have Giannis, even though I know some people cannot stand Giannis here in Houston still. <laughs> but Giannis is still one of the best players in the league. I mean, I don't care how you look at it. And they still got Chris Mills and they still got Drew Holiday. So they still are definitely a team to contend with. Um, before we wrap it up, I want to get your opinion on that, Dale. Do you think Philadelphia has enough um, to be able to get out of the East? you think a, a combination of just having a, two of the top five players in the league, you think that's good enough, even if you don't get enough from the outside players? Uh, I don't think that Philadelphia has enough. And and really, it does come down to Deb- Tobias Harris for me, because at this point, I don't even think he's the third option. I think he's the fourth option now. Like yeah. his, and, and really, it comes down to this, is that his shot has been so inconsistent this year. When the team was playing without Simmons and Harden wasn't there yet. Tobias Harris had um, more of an on-ball role with the ball kind of, you know, centering around Embiid in the post. If you look at how Tobias Harris was playing before Harden got there, his assist numbers were, like, way higher than you would expect them to be. Like, he was was averaging, like, four-something assists a game. Um, and, And that's really, like, abnormal for him. But now I think he got very comfortable playing that type of role and Harden's there. So now he's back to being, you know, completely off ball, kind of catch and shoot, spot up shooter type stuff. And I don't think he really has a handle on that at all. Like his shot this year was already inconsistent when he had the ball a lot, when he was taking like 20 something shots a game. Now that it's gone down to 10, 15, Like he's just looking very, very lost. And I think when you have somebody who's making that much money be that inconsistent, there's no way that you're going to win in the playoffs. Like no matter what Harden and Embiid do, unless they just completely find another level. And we've talked about how James Harden has trouble doing that. Um, you know, no disrespect to Harden or his his fans, or whatever. I'm not trying to, <laughs> not trying to duck on the dude, but but you know, like I don't I don't think there's much he can do to you know forcefully like push that team over the hump if Tobias Harris has been playing like he's been playing, and I've seen nothing out of Tobias Harris this year that suggests that he is going to turn it up in the playoffs because he is like as an offensive player. He's just been all over the place this season. And Tyrese Maxey is just too young. I think next year will probably be the year for them because then they'll be able to move Tobias Harris. Uh, Maxey will get like a lot of time to work with these guys and like learn more from Harden over the next season. Uh, You know, they didn't make this move just for one championship though. So I think they'll be fine. I just don't think this year is the year for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, it has nothing to do with bashing on Harden. I just think that when the playoffs come around and teams start to really get into their defensive schemes, you need more than just two players to be able to get over that hump. And I just think Miami and Milwaukee are just better teams, overall teams, than what Philadelphia is at the end of the day. So 
I, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be nice to be able to sit back and watch basketball and not have to go into a whole uh, dissertation about why Christian Wood is the worst player in the league and why this and that. Just nice to be able to just watch basketball for once, uh, just like last year playoffs. So I am looking forward to that. But speaking of, before we wrap it up, Christian Wood is back at practice today, so he will probably be playing next game just for anybody that was out there wondering um, about what the line is going to possibly be for the next game. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, before we wrap it up, I want to give the guys another chance to let everybody know uh, where to find all the content. So why don't we kick that off with you, uh, Ocon? Won't you let everybody know where they can find your uh, different takes at? So you can find me on Twitter at Okezy Sports PT, or you can find uh, professional stuff on the website at www.campusmotion.org. And uh, for uh, any kind of uh, injury or medical takes, uh, you can definitely find that on the page or uh, Rockets content as well. Yeah, I appreciate you as usual coming on and. If you ever want to uh, find out where a Twitter beef for Rockets Twitter beef started, you can usually start on Okizi's page. So just keep that in mind. Um, and Dale, why don't you uh, let everybody know where to find your stuff at? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Tweeter Dell, and you can find me on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash rocket powered squid. Uh, I'll be back on there uh, real soon. So hope to see some of y'all there all right again i appreciate both of y'all jumping on today and talking rockets um hopefully uh as the off season kicks in we'll have a little bit more to talk about but i definitely will have both of y'all back on especially once we find out you know draft order and all that stuff all all the fun stuff when it comes to rockets that's the fun stuff these days for the rockets uh not necessarily the game so i appreciate both of y'all coming on Appreciate it. Thank you. Of course, of course. And uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow the Apollo HOU account for blog, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Launchpad Podcast covering your Houston Rockets.